All right, good morning, Redemption. So we are continuing our study through the Gospel of John this morning, and we're in this face-to-face conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples called the Upper Room Discourse. And last week, we left with Jesus saying to his disciples kind of this amazing statement that I hope resonated with you. If you remember, he said in John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so we got left off last week with this promise that we should ask God anything and he will do it. And now Jesus this week is giving our hearts a little bit of a course correction because there's many things that I can think of to ask that wouldn't be the right things to ask for. And Jesus is telling us specifically what to ask for. If we're people who want to do the will of God, he said there's really only one thing you need to ask for, and that is that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, we don't need good advice, a set of rules. We need new life inside of us. And God has promised that he will give us his spirit so that the spirit would transform us from the inside out and we would be people, get this, who actually want to live the Christian life. So the big idea that we're going to see throughout the text this morning is that the Holy Spirit makes the Christian life possible. And the first way we see this in the text is that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. Look with me again at verses 15 through 21. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So here's the question that you should be asking as a good Bible student. Why isn't the title of this point, the Spirit is our helper? Because that's what the text says. He's our helper. Why is this Bible teacher saying that the Spirit is our advocate? Good question. The answer is because the word that's used for helper in this text is only used five times in the whole Bible. And every time this word is used, it's used by the writer of this gospel named John. 
Four times it's used in the Gospel of John, and one time it's used in 1 John. And the translation, literally, of that word is advocate. He helps us in a certain way. And the way that the Holy Spirit helps us is in being our advocate. Now, the only place that this word is used outside of the Gospel of John is in the book of 1 John. And it's the only place where it is used to describe someone other than the Holy Spirit. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, it says this about Jesus. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, same word, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So here's the scene that's been set for us by this word advocate describing both the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself. It's a courtroom scene. God the Father is the judge. He's a good judge. He has perfect justice. And we are sitting before this perfect judge, and we are guilty before him. And he is saying to us, what is your defense for your life, for your actions, for all the ways that you've disobeyed me and run away from me? And John is saying, you don't need to speak for yourself because you have two advocates that have different roles. The Holy Spirit has come to live in you And he is testifying with your spirit that you are not guilty. But the way he's testifying to that is not by telling you the lie that you are a good person. Instead, he is pointing you to a different advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And here's the reason that Jesus Christ is your advocate. Because he is the propitiation for your sin. Propitiation means wrath-diverting sacrifice. So what's happening is God the Father is looking at you. The Holy Spirit is testifying with your spirit that you are not guilty because the punishment that you deserve has not been placed on you. The punishment that you deserve has been placed on Jesus so that he has taken the punishment for your crime. So it is not just loving of God to send his son in your place to take the punishment for your sins. Get this. It is also just. So those of us with a guilty conscience need to know that God does not compromise his justice in punishing Jesus for our sin 
But he says, as the judge, that justice has been met in Jesus. So here's the crazy thing. This criminal trial that we're talking about has now turned into a joyful adoption event so that the father is no longer our judge but is our dad and he is welcoming us into the family. The Holy Spirit is not just advocating in our hearts that we are not guilty but he is doing something much better than that. He is telling us that we are children of God. Do you see that in the text? Jesus says part of the role of the Holy Spirit in being our advocate is that we will not be left as orphans, but we will be welcomed into the family of God, 100% in as family members. Now, I have a whole new lens on this because of the last 10 years of life experience for me. My oldest two kids, Luke and Emma, are adopted from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And what I'll tell you about that is there is a long advocacy process that is very tedious and legal that goes into adopting kids. So somewhere buried in our basement, there is a binder that is like this thick of paperwork that has made their adoption possible. But the adoption paperwork is not the point. The point is the adoption paperwork clears the way for the relationship. So if my adoptive kids came to me all the time and they're like, Dad, we really don't believe that we're your kids. Will you prove it to us? I might have to go down and be like, look, look at this huge stack of paperwork. But my hope is that we can move on from the paperwork and get to the good stuff of going to Vikings games and going ice skating together and getting ice cream and having fun because I want to be their dad. And the Holy Spirit has been poured into your heart so that you can move on from this guilty, legal conscience where you're constantly thinking about all your sin and you're navel-gazing, and because of that, you're unable to love anybody else. And instead, you would move into this place of being like, I am a child of God. I get to hang out with him. I get to have relationship with him. He wants to know me. He's my dad. And the Holy Spirit has been sent for that purpose. Look what Romans 8, chapter 15 says. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Listen, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is like the equivalent of the English word Dada. It's like the first word that would come out of a child's mouth. And some of you are like, wait a second, 
I'm a woman in the room. Why does it say we're adopted as sons? Why doesn't it say sons and daughters? Doesn't God have daughters? Well, everyone in the Roman world would have understood that the son was the heir. The son got all the stuff. The son got the inheritance. So for a daughter to be called a son meant that she was fully in, fully a child of God. And God wants you to know this morning by his spirit that you are a child of God. And so I believe that the Holy Spirit isn't a legend like we talk about old NBA basketball players like Magic Johnson. He used to be good, used to do cool stuff, but he is alive, active, at work in this room. So here's what that means. He is testifying, if we'll hear him, that we are children of God. He is advocating for us. No need to defend ourselves based on our good works. We rest in the finished work of Christ and we walk forward as kids. I'm just getting started. The Spirit's our advocate. Number two, the Spirit is our teacher. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Now, there's always this guy in church, college ministry, youth group, connection group, wherever it is, there's always the guy who wants to have this theological debate. So Jesus has laid down this beautiful truth about the Holy Spirit being our advocate, being our helper, coming to dwell in us and live in us and make us alive in Christ. And Judas, not Iscariot, not the really bad guy, has a question. Hey, Jesus, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How come some people get saved and some people don't get saved? It's kind of like the what about the guy in Africa question who's never heard the gospel. Like, why does God save some people and not others? And you notice how Jesus answers the question. He dodges the question. He doesn't answer the question. Instead, he gives a great but very frustrating answer to those of us who want to know why God saves some people and not others. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus says the answer is very simple. If you love me and keep my commandments, you're in. Anybody can get in on Christianity. You just have to love me and keep my commandments. To which we're supposed to be thinking, that's really hard. Like to love God and to keep his commandments is basically to look at all the law of God in the whole Old Testament and all the law of God in the New Testament and to say, yep, I can keep that. Yep. I can do that. And Jesus answers the question underneath the question by saying, 
here's how it's possible to become the type of person who loves God and obeys his commandments by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, loving God and keeping his commandments does not come from flesh, does not come from your spirit, does not come from willpower, does not come from effort, does not come from religious devotion, does not come from growing up in a Christian family or sort of downloading your faith from your parents. Love for God and obeying his commandments comes from outside of us, comes from the Spirit of God, coming to dwell in us and becoming our teacher. Now, all of us have had different teachers in our lives, and all of us know that when you have a great teacher, it can change your life. And one such teacher for me was my high school history teacher named Mr. Brewer. I still remember the first day of class that I ever had with him. He's one of those guys who was so devoted to a subject and so serious that even a goof-off like me would take him seriously. And I remember he get up, got up, and he's starting to introduce his class and kind of the ground rules for it and all that, and there were two guys sitting on the right side of the classroom. I can still remember where they were sitting. And they thought that they could act like they always did in his class, and that would be totally fine. And so they're talking to each other. And you see him shift his attention in their direction, but they didn't notice that he had shifted his attention in their direction because he was still talking. And then he said, gentlemen, I don't think that this class is for you. There is another teacher who teaches history, and if you want to goof off all semester, then I would suggest you guys stand up right now, show yourself to the door, walk down to the office, and change classes. And then he made them do it in front of us all. And I thought to myself, I'm going to act different in this class because this guy is the teacher. And guys, I goofed off in all my other classes. Somehow, it took a lot of effort for me to get C's. I kind of had like the C's get degrees mentality in high school. In his classes, I got A's. Why? He's not messing around. He's a good teacher. The Holy Spirit is a teacher like that. He's the teacher that you don't mess with. This is God Almighty. Come to live inside of you. And one of the reasons that we don't obey the commandments of God, that we don't listen to him, is because we don't believe this. The Holy of Holies isn't in a temple. It's not in a church. It's you. God lives in you. We have this treasure in jars of clay inside of our weak human flesh to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And that reality changes you 
from a person who is chasing sin to a person that is chasing loving God and loving other people. And so, the application is found in Ephesians 5, verses 17 through 18. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. So how do you get filled with the Spirit? The Apostle Paul uses this crass analogy. He says, it's like getting drunk. You know how to get drunk? You college students are like, don't nod your head. Don't tell them. We know. Some of you have been drunk. But the way that you get drunk is you drink alcohol. The drunkenness doesn't last till the next day. The hangover happens the next day. But you have to drink to get drunk. And the way that you get filled with the Spirit is you fill your soul with the Word of God. There's a parallel passage in Colossians that says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, which is parallel to be filled with the Spirit. So you fill yourself up every single day with the Word of God, and you ask the Spirit of God to fill you. Now, you're not asking the Spirit of God to come into your life because he's a permanent resident in you as a Christian. But what you're asking is for his voice to be louder in your soul than your voice is in your soul. And that happens when you feed him with the Word of God because he loves the Word of God. And it becomes active in your life, more active than your sin. Okay, so the Spirit is our advocate, the Spirit is our teacher, and finally, the Spirit is with us. Jesus said, starting in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Okay, so last week, Jesus said the same thing to us. Do not let your hearts be troubled because Jesus is preparing a place for us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and is exactly like the Father. But Jesus gives us another reason for that in this text, which is kind of confusing. He says, I am going away and I will come to you. I don't know about you, but if I was in the room, I'm like, which is it? Are you going away or are you coming to us? Because if you're going away, you can't come to us and you can't come to us and go away at the same time. Jesus is saying that because he, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are all one, that when he leaves the earth, after he dies and rises and then ascends to the right hand of the Father, 
and the Holy Spirit comes, that he has both left and come. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So to have the Spirit inside of us, Jesus will say later, is better than having Jesus beside us. The Spirit of God has come to live in us. So when Jesus says in the text, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, what he's saying is the way that the world will offer you peace is peace in your circumstances. Here's how you can have peace in your soul. Keep all of the trouble away. If you try to keep all of the trouble away, you will not be able to love anyone. The reason you won't be able to love anyone is because relationships are messy. To be in relationship with another person, including you, causes trouble. And so we can live our whole lives defending ourselves, keeping the trouble away, keeping the peace, withdrawing from conflict, trying to get as much money as we can, live in the safest neighborhood we can, stay away from all the poor people, stay away from all the people who are different than us, not do anything on mission for Jesus, and find a kind of peace in that. But Jesus is saying, I don't want to give you that kind of peace. I want to give you a different kind of peace. I want to make your heart soft and loving. I want to transform you from the inside out so that instead of being defensive and protective around the people of the world, that your heart would break for them. That you would become the type of person through whom the love of God is poured out to a world that desperately needs it. And in this way, your heart would no longer be troubled. Not because your circumstances are great, but because your God is great and he is with you wherever you go. And that is a deeper peace, a peace that you can walk through the fire and not be burned. In another place, the scripture says it is a peace that transcends understanding so that you are steady in the face of suffering. I'm wondering if there are a bunch of people in this room who need this peace. Maybe there are those of you in the room who long to be married. And you're single. You haven't met that person yet. And that is a circumstance that you don't like. And so there is a lack of peace in your life because you don't like your circumstances. But you need the Spirit of God to come into your life so that you can walk through a circumstance that you don't like and love your friends who are getting engaged and getting married rather than being bitter against them. Do you know it's possible to have that peace? What about those of you who, like me, 
in the past are dealing with infertility. This is a hard church to be dealing with infertility. Because every time we do child dedications, there's like 56 kids up here. And you know, maybe God wants you to have this peace that transcends understanding even in your infertility so that you can look at those precious kids that have been born to those families and rather than being angry and rather than being sullen and feeling like you got to walk out of the room, you can rejoice with them. Maybe you've lost a loved one or in the process of losing a loved one right now and maybe it's too early for them to be lost. You're not ready for that. And that's affecting your peace, and you think that the problem is your circumstance. But maybe the problem isn't your circumstance. Maybe you're not being filled with the Spirit. Maybe you're not activating the peace that is different than the worldly peace. Maybe you don't need your circumstances to go perfectly for you to have the peace of God that transcends all understanding. I understand where you're at. I lost my son. And I am telling you that if you will open your hands and open your heart to this God of peace, that he will give you something that the world will look at and say, I want that otherworldly peace. Some of you are dealing with chronic pain. Even, even right now, your joints hurt or you're having some sort of heart problem or you're having some sort of back pain, and the pain is so real and so present with you that you can't imagine having peace when your body is in so much pain. Here's who the Spirit of Christ is. Jesus, a short time later, is going to be hanging on a cross, and as he's hanging on a cross in the most excruciating pain imaginable. Excruciating literally means from the cross. Because that's the most painful form of torture imaginable. And Jesus, from the cross, has so much peace that he is able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As a Christian dealing with chronic pain, you have the spirit of Jesus in you. So it is possible for you to be a loving person and others focused even in the midst of immense pain. I wonder if there's somebody in the room who's dealing with a job loss and you feel like your identity has been crushed to the ground and you think, if I had my dream job and wasn't in this situation right now, then I would have peace. Maybe... The Spirit of God wants to show you a different kind of peace, a peace that transcends understanding, where your identity is no longer tied to what you do, what you produce in the world, but is tied to being a child of God. And maybe you can sit in this joblessness. Yes, of course, you're going to keep looking for a job and all that, but you can sit in this joblessness and know that your identity is secure that you don't have to have a job to be valuable. 
but you are his. As Jesus has come to give us peace. Here's the question that tells us whether we have activated the spirit-filled life. Is the trajectory of your life toward spirit-filled obedience in the midst of deep pain or self-willed rebellion? Are you running toward God with your pain, asking him to live through you, to be loving to others, or have you turned your back on him and run away from him? Now, all of us, to some degree, have turned our back and run away from him. But remember, we have an advocate with the Father. The Spirit is in you. And even though you are running away, God is whispering to your heart this morning, you're my child. You can trust me. I love you. Hold on. I have what's good for you. I'm not punishing you. I punished Jesus for you. So let's walk forward in that trust. Let's pray. Jesus, there is so much pain in the souls of your people this morning. All of us, if we were to be asked by somebody three or four questions, that get, get to the depth of what we're experiencing right now on this earth, there's pain. There's suffering. There's deep suffering. God, and I'm thankful that you don't minimize that. You understand it. Jesus, you walked in the flesh, walked toward the pain of the cross, You understand what it's like to be in our shoes. You understand what it's like to have this peace that transcends understanding. And we're asking this one thing of you this morning. Would you supernaturally fill us with your spirit so that our experience of the painful moments of our life can be transcended by the love of Christ being poured into our hearts and then flowing out of us to others so that we wouldn't use our pain as an excuse to not be on mission for you, but that it would be the very thing that becomes our mission for you. God, would our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers see that we have this peace and would they ask us, where does that hope come from? And would we be able to say, that does not come from me. That is not of me. It is from Christ. He has given me a spirit. In Jesus' name.